And with those last words of what we sang still on our hearts and minds, let me by your word be taught, help me walk on where you are leading in everlasting ways proceeding. We turn to the word of the Lord as we find that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's first letter to Timothy chapter 4. Where we read these words, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And our text for this morning is the last part of verse 7 and verse 8. These words, and exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And following the sermon, we will sing hymn 43, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, earlier this year, the magazine Christianity Today 
showcased a number of books considered to be the top picks of Christian publishing for 2022. Every year, one book is selected for the annual Book of the Year Award. And this year, the honors went to a book entitled Overcoming Apathy, Gospel Hope for Those Who Struggle to Care. And the book addresses an issue many, if not all of us, struggle with, and maybe more so now than ever. For we live in a time that has normalized indifference toward meaningful things, even as we have become fixated on life's daily minutia, the little things. We feel more alive and fulfilled by giving our attention to the trivial, the secular, and the pleasurable than we do to the spiritual, the transcendent, and the divine. And things that at one time we cared about deeply and filled our hearts with joy and enthusiasm no longer excite us. The greater the grandeur of the truth, the less we bother to explore and discover. Spiritual apathy is a constant companion that targets the practices that are supposed to bring us life and joy, peace and communion with the living God, such as public worship, prayer, scripture reading, perseverance in doing good. And we no longer find joy in these things, and at best they become rituals that we do to get them over and done with, and hopefully as quickly as possible. So why this struggle with apathy? Apathy and indifference toward the things of God can come upon us for a variety of reasons. Maybe there's sin in your life that you are secretly harboring in your heart, keeping you from feeding your mind with the riches of God's Word. And perhaps spiritual apathy has taken hold of your heart because you are tired and weary. And just talking to people takes every ounce of energy from you. Maybe you have a jaded view of the church, so you can't get yourself motivated to get involved. Maybe you have become apathetic toward those things of first importance because you find it much easier to talk about sports, vehicles, to watch the latest movies, to read articles and blogs and listen to podcasts that feed your opinions on the issues of the day, to learn about things that are immaterial in the broader scheme of things. Well, it is good for us as brothers and sisters to tackle the matter of overcoming apathy openly and honestly and with maturity, compassion, and understanding. And at the same time, we need to realize this is not a 21st century problem. An author of the 4th century called apathy a restlessness that entices us to pursue everything but our most important duties. 
And an author of the 20th century described the apathetic as having a vague and uneasy feeling that they're not doing well, but they do nothing about it. Apathy is not a new problem because it is a sin problem. It deforms the heart and brings us into a form of slavery to which we regularly surrender. Apathy is a sin that expresses itself as restlessness and aimlessness or laziness or disinterest and joylessness toward the things of God. We will pay attention to the things of God as long as it doesn't take too much time or demand too much out of us. So rather than accept it or excuse it, we ought to grieve our apathy. But not as those who are without hope. For the Lord himself gives us the tools to equip us to develop healthy practices to boldly overcome apathy in our daily life. To move away from spiritual lethargy to Christian zeal. To enjoy life in Christ and to drink deeply from the wells of salvation. And compelled by the Holy Spirit and by the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, we look to the Scriptures for training in these things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul counsels us to train in godliness because it is good for us in every possible way. Also, to combat apathy. It has the greatest value and holds promise for the present life and the life to come. And as such, it is the antidote to spiritual lethargy and apathy. We are to train ourselves in godliness so that we can persevere in serving Christ and not be overtaken by apathy. Well, let's look at this further together under the following theme. Overcome apathy by training in godliness. And we'll look at two things, the great need for training and secondly, the lasting value of training. By encouraging Timothy to be in training, the Apostle Paul borrows a term from the realm of athletics. A word is used that is similar to our word for gymnastics and originally referred to the vigorous training of young athletes for participation in the Olympic Games that went on at the time. Paul says to Timothy, as a minister of the gospel, you must lead by example by exercising in a disciplined fashion. Train in godliness. Keep at it constantly and consistently, not letting up for a day or a moment. And that training is not just for you as one who has received a special office, but for every believer in the office of all believers. Train yourself in godliness. But here's the thing. 
Do we as adults and young people know what godliness is? And why is it so important to be trained in it? If we are to break through and out of our apathy. Now maybe you think godliness is much the same as being pious or moral. And maybe those words sound puritanical and straight-laced. But then you are mistaken. Because godliness doesn't put you in a straitjacket, but it means that your life has been affected by your understanding of and devotion to Jesus. The word godliness occurs 15 times in the New Testament, and nine of them are in this letter to Timothy. So if someone had asked Timothy what Paul's letter was about, he might well have said, well, I suppose it was mostly about life in God's household, the church of the living God. But the thing that impressed me was my personal need for godliness. Godliness is living before the face of God and proceeds from devotion to Christ. Living with a sense of awe and reverence toward Him. Godliness works from the inside out, from a heart that deeply loves Jesus and desires to honor and serve Him everywhere and, at all, and all the time without reservation or hesitation. And from there it shows up in your earthly relationships, in service toward those in the body of Christ and outside of Christ's body talking about the good news, worshiping with your brothers and sisters. Simply put, godliness is all that is directed toward God. Godliness is first and foremost a matter of worship, public worship, of the triune God that leads to daily worship. It is inseparably connected to the Word and the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is the author of godliness. He plants it in our hearts. Well, that takes us to the core of why apathy is so dangerous and why it enters our lives. It's because we are often satisfied with holding to a form of godliness and thereby denying its power. Godliness is about living in the power of the Spirit through a relationship to Christ. And filled with the power of the Spirit, godliness draws us to Christ as we live and as we work and as we worship in view of the love, the sacrifice, the service, the grace, mercy, faithfulness, ultimate joy and hope that is found in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And true godliness offers the world a glimpse of Christ. It offers the fragrance and aroma of Jesus through those He has redeemed. 
And that means that training in godliness is not just for our own benefit, but in order that you might reflect Christ to this world, to your neighbors, to your co-workers who do not know the Lord. True godliness is rooted in Christ's saving work and is fundamentally a gift of God's grace. Godliness is always connected to Golgotha. It is the result of God's sovereignty and the fruit of Christ's love in us. And it blossoms and it sprouts forth from a faith which finds its branches and support in the promises of the gospel. But it also requires strenuous self-discipline, exercise, and training. Training in godliness is something that goes against our nature. Now, there are three factors essential for a proper training in godliness. First of all, we need to follow the instructions of a competent teacher. These days, if people want to get their bodies in top condition, they often hire a personal trainer. And the trainer's job is to set up a schedule of exercises to get the client into shape. And a trainer will not allow for apathy or indifference. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit trains us by holding us to the highest standard of spiritual excellence as he teaches, as he corrects, as he rebukes through the instrument of his word. And secondly, proper training in godliness also requires practice. There are no shortcuts to godliness. It is the day-in, day-out use of the means which God appointed and which the Holy Spirit uses that will enable us to make headway in godliness and at the same time overcome apathy. Most of us realize that to be and remain physically fit, it takes much effort. And yet our sinful tendency is to think that spiritual fitness does not take all that much effort. The verb train, which Paul deliberately uses, implies persevering, painstaking, diligent effort and practice. So those are the first two. We need a competent teacher, we need to practice. And third, to be trained in godliness, we need to follow the instructions that are given to us from above. And that applies to our personal life, our family life, our church life. Coming under the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are trained to worship the Lord the way He desires. And boys and girls, this is why it is such a blessing to have Christian education in and outside the home. If used correctly, it can be a powerful tool in training you to godliness. And we all need to be in training. So when it is time to study, do it. 
And when you are asked to participate in class or in catechism, don't just sit there and say, I don't know. Or, why should I have to be involved? I don't think you do that on the hockey rink, do you? Having been trained to play, you don't expect to sit on the bench for the whole game. Well, brothers and sisters, encourage each other to do your exercises to train. Even if at the time it may not seem all that enjoyable, but rather tedious. And pray that what our children learn at home in school and in catechism is not a form of godliness but that it touches and changes their hearts. And make sure that your family devotions are and remain meaningful times of training and do not become a meaningless ritual that we get over and done with as quickly as possible. And when we train, we will discover how it has lasting value. Brings us to our second point. For Paul compares the training needed in the Christian life to what takes place in the world of fitness and sports. And notice Paul does not say every Christian should not do any training or physical exercise. Or rather than saying bodily training has no value but godliness is of value in every way, he says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And here, Paul may have been taking a dig at the false teachers mentioned in the previous verses. They put much emphasis on what people did with their bodies. And almost certainly the apostle was taking a swipe at the sports craze in Ephesus where Timothy was minister. The Ephesians spent a great deal of time and money training young athletes to perform at pagan festivals. But although the sporting life has its place, its benefits are strictly temporary and of limited value. But the benefit of training to be godly is limitless. Since godliness covers every aspect of our life and gives life meaning and joy, godliness benefits us even when things are not going well physically or emotionally, when we are sick, or when physical activity is out of the picture. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come because through it we are directed to the Lord Jesus. And believing and trusting in God, we do not doubt or question whether the training is worth it. We press on in the certainty that we will make it to the finish line. Training to be godly as lasting value. But notice that its value is not restricted to the life to come. It has value today already. The training is strenuous and against our nature. 
But the blessings and the joy that we already experience are immeasurable. For training in godliness opens our eyes to the beauty of worship as a place where we meet God. Can there be anything more glorious? Through training, we come to see the riches of the songs we sing, the privilege of coming before the Lord in prayer, to have Jesus lead the services through the ministry of the Word and the sacraments. Training in godliness has such immense value because we are reminded that there is nothing routine or casual about the worship services. This is a taste of heaven. And why would we not be enraptured by coming into the presence and before the face of God? Jesus gave his very life for this. He endured the terror of hell to allow us to come and worship And when trained in godliness, I will be overwhelmed by the majesty and the mercy of Christ. And I will go from here overawed by the grace of the Lord. Praising Him for allowing me, a person who by nature is unholy, sinful, and ungodly, to come into His presence because of the work of of my dear Lord and Savior, Jesus. And training begins in our eagerness to listen and to learn from God's Word in church and in our homes. Because these things turn our attention to the love, joy, peace, forgiveness, and the everlasting life we have in Christ to the very things that have value for this life and the life to come. And training in godliness does not exclude the children. In fact, they will be taught to work with the Scriptures and to be familiar with the contents of both Old and New Testament, to know the storyline and how everything points to the Lord Jesus. Training in godliness means that our children need to learn to read and study their Bibles. And their training begins by watching you as adults, as church leaders and parents, work with the Scriptures. As Paul said to Timothy, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and impurity. Yes, lead by example. Now maybe you are feeling a little overwhelmed by the thought of training. Too weary and too burdened. The thought of rearranging what is going on in your personal life as a couple or as a family is not something you are prepared to do anytime soon. Maybe you are thinking that there's There's no way to better yourself spiritually because you're just too overloaded and strained to change anything in your schedule and life. 
But listen to what Paul writes in verse 10. For this we toil and strive. Training in godliness is far from easy. For this we labor and even suffer reproach. And labor in this context means that we exert ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The word implies hard work. It's the kind of determination that is willing to struggle with hardship, to combat apathy and any lack of motivation, and to keep pressing forward. Training in godliness has value for all things, holding promise for this life and the life to come. It benefits us as we go about our task in life and in death, in sickness and in health. Think about it. When you face sudden loss or persecution or a great trial, or a natural disaster. How will bodily training and exercise help you in such a time? You will be overwhelmed unless you have, been you have trained yourself to be godly. Godliness doesn't abandon you when the bottom drops out, when you lose a loved one, when tragedy strikes. When the economy turns sour. Godliness sticks with you through thick and thin. Because it's the outworking of what you've been developing in relationship to the Lord over many years. Brothers and sisters, pray that what you have heard this morning may, make, may take hold of your hearts and minds. The Apostle calls us to train in godliness and concludes this is a trustworthy saying and that deserves full acceptance. Yes, that is to be our response to the Lord's call to break with apathy and to train in godliness. It deserves full acceptance. Well, let this suffice to motivate us to do our spiritual exercises and to train ourselves in godliness. Fix your hope on Jesus and pray that he will enable you to reorder your life so that he be the center of your affections, the aim of your life, and the focus of your schedule. Place your confidence and trust in Jesus the crucified and resurrected Savior of sinners, and then be assured that He is also ever-present as you labor and strive to practice godliness. When you are weak, He is strong. When you are tempted, He is present to deliver. When you falter, He lifts you up. Train yourself in the assurance that the value of godliness is lasting, everlasting. Amen.